Welcome back to Tuesdays with Tim, the podcast that touches on all things related to brain injuries among children and those impacted by my son, Luke. We have a very, very special guest, Dr. Paul Harch, a world-renowned HBOT expert and one of our biggest supporters of Team Luke for Minds and someone that I have so much admiration and respect for. So, Dr. Harch, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We have had a very special conference um, this year with over 120 families, and the overriding comment is your talk and what they've learned about HBOT, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Can you first give us your background into what you do today? Okay, yes, I can. Um, This was not of my doing. It was not my choice, really. This is... something that uh, I was channeled into and directed into. I always wanted to be a surgeon and was in a surgical residency at uh, uh, University of Colorado, Denver. And I was in a very bad car accident early in my internship that nearly killed me. And uh, after an event like that, uh, life changes and my perspective changed. And I, I finished the two years of the residency. I did very well, but I needed to take another medical leave to just, I needed another operation. I needed some things done. And um, I took a medical leave. And uh, again, you know, uh, perspective had changed. Um, and uh, I needed to make a living. And I found myself in an emergency medicine situation and answered an offer for a job in New Orleans. I was living in Denver. Uh, And in a very funny way, um, I went down there and I I more took the job for the time off. It was a week on, a week off. 26 weeks off, 26 weeks on total. And I wanted the weeks off because I was thinking about uh, maybe getting out of medicine, going into something else. Um, and I found myself in this emergency medicine group. And turns out our emergency medicine group did hyperbaric oxygen and diving accidents. So we were the South Central United States referral area for all diving accidents and the Central Gulf of Mexico. So all the commercial divers. And uh, it's not taught in medical school. So I had to go get some training. I did. And I was intrigued when I started seeing the divers, the numbers of them that had involvement of their brain, brain decompression illness. And it was kind of ignored by the Navy. But in the process, I found that we were not achieving the results that everybody else was. The U.S. Navy claimed 90% cure with the first treatment. We were getting maybe 40%. We'd have to treat them repetitively. And I kept asking, well, what's going on here? What's in their brain? And nobody could explain it. It was so primitive, it was just unbelievable. It turns out the reason we weren't able to get the same results the Navy was and had to repetitively treat was the time. In other words, in the Navy, when you have a diving operation, there's a chamber on site, you come out of the water, you have symptoms, you're in the chamber and get treated right away. But we in New Orleans are 90 miles upstream from the Gulf of Mexico. And they have to get in by boat, by land, by maybe they try to sleep it off, show up the next day, and now you're not just treating bubbles, you're treating the damage that bubbles have done. And then, out of the blue, 
these cases literally fell in my lap. My mother talks in very spiritual terms about how this happened, and I think she's right. It took me a long time to see it, you know, but this was not of my doing. And these were just extreme cases of brain decompression illness where these lives were throwaway. One was in the midst of going to commit homicides on everybody involved with his diving accident, and the other one was getting ready to attempt his suicide for the second time. He's actually at the conference here today. And these cases got presented to me in a very funny way, and I had a choice. I could do nothing or maybe see if there was something that could be done. And I was directed to call this doctor who had been widely disparaged in the hyperbaric medicine community because he was treating neurological problems with hyperbaric oxygen. And that was pretty much against the rules. And he was not doing it for the same amount or cost that the hospitals were charging, so it was threatening. It was a lower charge. And I was told, you can call this guy, but be wary, this might ruin your reputation but he's the only one who might have a treatment for these two guys. And I thought, wait a minute, don't call him up because there's gonna be a problem with my reputation versus treat these two guys, one who's about to kill these nine people and the other one who's gonna try suicide. I called him up and we had a discussion and I treated him and changed, it changed their lives. And you'll see the one guy who's here today, Dan, uh, and I had an awakening that, you know, in medicine you see amazing things happen. And you kind of ho-hum it, you know, it's like, wow, look at that, how'd that happen? But you keep going and you just go about your work. And I just realized that this was something really momentous. And I, I, I had to pursue this. So your operation in New Orleans started when? 1989 was that first patient turned out to be actually with the divers a boxer and a little drowned boy hyperbaric oxygen you know i remember years ago when you'd hear someone might have a chamber in their house or right and and generally used for wounds wound care yes at what point did you realize this is helping not only wounds and but brain injured patients when i realized that what was going on in their brain was another wound what was the difference between lack of blood flow, lack of oxygen, trauma, you know, a head injury, concussion, mm -hmm. and a, a bruise to your leg, uh, a sprained ankle, any other wound in the body? There was really no difference. And I, I wasn't the first one to realize this. Others in the past had thought, wait a minute, what is hyperbaric oxygen used for? Yeah, it's been for wounding and inflammatory conditions. Well, how about an internal wound? Mm -hmm. And that's, it, it really was those first cases these cases were considered neurological throwaways, if you will. There was nothing for them. It was end of life or life of misery afterwards or jail for one of them, you know, who knows, suicide for the other. And now this totally changed their life around. I mean, totally. The one, Dan, he went on to get two master's degrees for 30 years. He's been doing educational testing for brain-injured children. I mean, it just, and so... I decided we would start looking at this. And what was the difference between a child with CP, someone with a traumatic brain injury? Turns out it really was no difference. And next thing you know, I was looking at all sorts of different neurological disorders and it just led where it has today. 
I talked to a woman at the conference and there was very little hope given to her. She went to see you and dive two and three changed everything. Just took two dives. Yeah. Most of the time we hear that, that 40 dives is the sort of the norm to get the results. Would that be accurate? For a chronic condition, yes. But if done right at the time of injury, it's just a few. And I guess that's my next question is that um, we would love it if doctors would say, okay, we, we're just out of ICU. You've got a traumatic injury or an anoxic injury. Immediately get to hyperbaric oxygen, unfortunately. That's not the case. So my first question is, will we still see results if it's two, three, four, five years following an accident? Absolutely. Well, look where I started with this. These were chronic diving cases. And all of, if you look at the over, I don't know what the estimate is, it's well over 4,000 patients now have treated in the last 34 years with this. And... 90 to 95 percent have been a year or more from injury. Look at the veteran study, 3.3 years average from time of last blast injury, then the TBI study we did on civilians, 4.4 years. So four and a third years afterwards. In the record, I've got three or four people I've treated 50 years out. A Vietnam veteran, you can find him on the internet in New Orleans, Mike Myers. He is migraine free now for seven years, six years. Not a migraine in that entire time, and they were daily for almost 50 years from Vietnam. So many families have the same question when they're reading um, Facebook posts from friends. What do I do first? What do I do next? You've got hyperbaric oxygen, stem cell, laser therapy. Right. Where do I go first? What do I do next? Okay, and I, I know this will sound biased, but I, I'm just going to make the statement as I did today. This is a foundation biological therapy. It treats wounds. These are almost all wounding conditions of one type or another. What it does through its wide gene expression that no therapy has ever been shown, over 40% of all of our protein coding genes, 8,101 of our 19,000 genes are sensitive to changes in pressure and oxygen. And that's what we're exploiting with this treatment. And what you do when you intervene with hyperbaric oxygen is you truncate that injury process and the inflammation and now stimulate recovery. So I would tell you, well, these other therapies, I'm a fan of all of them, and they all have shown benefit. I am a big fan of photobiomodulation. There are 800 randomized trials on light therapy, which is laser, diode, all of that, in all sorts of conditions, animals and humans. And, you know, our body, uh, our mitochondria respond to that wavelength of light and stimulation. But there is nothing that does what this does broadly for wounding conditions. So I tell people, please get this first because of the way it interacts with the wound process. It actually treats the underlying causes of the injury and the inflammatory process not the diagnosis, like, oh, this is good for that diagnosis or that one. It treats the underlying disease process, and they're common to many diseases. Then layer these other things on. <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier uh, in, in, a, in another podcast, um, that when you are a tennis coach, yes. and you see other coaches who maybe just started coaching a day ago, you think, that's not really coaching. So my question for you is, <laughs> hyperbaric oxygen, Yeah. you see 
clinics all over the country. I know. But how does that make you feel when you know that maybe they're not getting the correct treatment? I, I have mixed feelings about it. If you look at the reason I wrote my book, and you know, let me back up about the other therapies. It just, based on the science and all of that, I don't know that any of these other therapies have shown what this has shown for acute injury. So traumatic brain injury, global ischemia, you name it. I don't know that photobiomodulation, that any of these others have shown that. So that's, I, I, I don't want to appear biased, but I'm just based on the science. That's why I'm saying intervene with it first. But, um, you know, getting back to this then about, yeah, the other clinics and all the rest of this, the reason I wrote my book and, and the answer, the purpose of it is buried in chapter 14 at the end, Roadblocks to the Future. I tell the story of, of how the science and the studies have shown that in acute severe traumatic brain injury, I'm sorry, like your son had, one to three treatments in the first few days decreases the death rate by 50 to 60 percent. Nothing like it in the history of science can duplicate that. Not penicillin, not anything. And we're not using it. Why not? And it's, it's wrapped up in the politics and culture of medicine. And so people can't overcome that, and nor can I. I'm working to fight it. But the, the message in the book is go out and get this therapy. Just get it. And I pray that you get it by somebody who knows what they're doing. And that's the caveat. And so, yeah, I've got really mixed feelings about it because I wrote a book chapter in, in 2000 that was mainly filled with side effects, complications, and over-treatment of patients who went out to places and they, there was no healthcare professional there, they were business people or whoever, and over-treated these adults and children and had even permanent injury. Two of them put chambers in their homes and killed their children with it. And this is now going to be more publicized in an article later this year. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, if you, list, if you were in the room today and listened to the questions from a lot of these people, some of them are about exactly that. They went to some places and that one mother, they had toxic symptoms that are well described and they just told the, the parent to ignore it and keep going. Both she and her child in the chamber were feeling sick. So yeah, it's, it's a bother and there's gonna be more awareness of this and, and more oversight, but it's a tough situation right now. You talked about the medical community. Um, we as, well, as a father, my son Luke did some hyperbaric, obviously in, in, in Lubbock, and um, uh, you met Luke once, of yes. course, um, and I have talked to Many people that call me, I talk to a parent almost every day, and hyperbaric oxygen always comes up. And one of the questions is, um, how do I know if it's helping my son? Mm -hmm. Dive eight, dive 40, do I keep going another 40? How much is too much? And the other question is, yes, but it's not covered by insurance. Yes. And I don't know if I can do 40 dives, if right. I can only do five. Right. Is that still helpful? It is, so let's back up in your first question. How do you know how many, and, and it's a practice of medicine issue, and this is the problem with these places that have thrown these chambers in and you've got no one there who knows what they're doing. They pull information off the internet and that's what you're getting regardless of your diagnosis or what happens to you. And if you get some real side effect to it, people are usually told, well, something's wrong with you. All of our patients get better. I don't know what's wrong with you. 
and what do the people do? They just kind of drift off because they went and they did something above their doctor's objections that was not a standard therapy, and now they had a problem. And it's like the story I told in there of the little boy that died in that chamber in Florida with a physical therapist who was operating it. And when the child was turning blue and having a problem, he didn't even recognize it and told the father in the chamber, thumbs up, everything's okay. And the child died. And how do we find out? It is the mother self-flagellating on the internet. I killed my baby, is what she said. She went to this place and they lied about what they told her. They actually told her that they work with me and they consult with me every week. So went, got this treatment, and the child died. Well, she didn't fault them. She faulted herself for doing this. And this is what frequently happens. So, you know, it's a practice of medicine issue. It's like you going in to see your doctor and he's treating you for a problem. How does he figure out what's going on? It's by interfacing with you and talking with you and looking the response to the treatment he gives you, the medication, and, and looking for side effects. And you adjust things accordingly. And that's exactly what this is. And so I, I'll give you another quick little example. The man that I called up that I was told would ruin my reputation by association with him became my mentor and you know, colleague and senior whatever for the rest of his life. And every two weeks we were on the phone for the next 18 years until he died. And uh, finally in 2001, every conversation was, when are you gonna come down here to South Florida and join me? And I, I couldn't, I was just too enmeshed in the, whole thing we were doing in New Orleans, the academic stuff, the fellowship, teaching, blah, blah, blah. Finally, in 2001, some things were not right, and I, I went down. That day, he had me see all 33 patients he was treating and do a little consult on every one of them. And, you know, God bless him. Uh, how many treatments did you get when you went down there? As much as you had time and resources what for. And, you know, he found out what a whole lot of treatments would do. He found out what a little bit would do. And it was really valuable. And what I did was sat down and ask every one of these patients, how are you doing? Do you feel like you're getting better? 22 of the 33 could not tell me that they were experiencing any change. And many of them were fatigued. They were oxygen toxic, overdosed. And at the end of the day, we sat down and he said, what do you think? I said, you need to stop treating 22 of these people. And so, when you don't know if you're getting any effect, you stop mm. and you see. And a lot of times what will happen is you will see an after effect. It'll let you know partly what was going on during that. But any oxidative stress can wear off also. And as that wears off, you see patients kind of blossom. And so it's a matter of practicing medicine. And you have to take breaks. You cannot do anything continuously. Mm. Think of athletes. You, you were a tennis coach. Can you train every day and nonstop? Right. No, you right. can't. The body doesn't respond like that. You are selling me, and you don't have to sell me because I already know, but those medical doctors. I'm sorry. I get a little emotional. I'm explaining it. But no, I appreciate that. But, but, but one of the things I, I want everyone to hear and hear closely, and that is when a medical doctor says one of two things, hyperoxygen does not help okay. and or HBOT is proven that it doesn't help. All right. What you need to do is you now have to jump into the role of being a healthcare consumer. It's like going out and shopping for a car, a refrigerator, uh, a landscaper, anything. 
and you interview the person and you ask them, and especially with doctors, what is the evidence for or against it? And we are in a, a tough position in that traditionally doctors are thought to know everything about medicine and people have expected that. Now it's changed. You know, mm-hmm. people know, no, they don't, wait a minute, uh, you know, there's a lot you don't know. And, and a lot of medical practice, what we're taught is reimbursed medicine. We're only trained and taught in what get reimbursed by insurance companies, not necessarily what works the best. You're really channeled into this whole area. And so you have to ask your doctor, you know, well, what is that based on? Because coming from them, it, it's automatically assumed it's an authoritative uh, opinion and position based on science and fact. That's what they're supposed to do for you is gather information and present it to you to help you with decision making on you or your child or whatever. And what you'll find with hyperbaric oxygen is what I was taught at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine when I went there as a, a student. In my third year, first rotation in the hospital, and your main teacher is your junior resident. Two years out of, out of medical school, they're the main ones who are teaching you. Now, yeah, on rounds you get all the faculty and everybody else, but... Uh, we walked by a patient's room, and there was a group of doctors outside, and they were standing there talking about it. They were making their rounds. And we just were walking by, and we were having a conversation, and I heard someone say, well, how about hyperbaric oxygen for this patient? And, of course, you know, when you're a third-year medical student, you know nothing about medicine. The janitor knows more about how medicine runs in the hospital than you do. And I waited until we got down the hall to not be embarrassed. And I said to my resident, I go, what's hyperbaric oxygen? He said, oh, don't ask another question about it. It's, it's completely unscientific, been thoroughly disproven, charlatanism, snake oil sales, and fraud. I said, okay, now this is Johns Hopkins. So I tucked that in my head. Eight years later, I'm down in New Orleans in this diving group having to go get trained. And I'm seeing all of this science, and it's like, where is the disconnect? And I tell the story in the book about how my generation of doctors Nobody has been able to explain this therapy for 362 years until the last 10 years now, and we know all of these gene effects. This is an epigenetic therapy, an elegant one. Now we know, but unfortunately, you have to question your doctor. What makes you say that? Mm. Because it's an opinion, and it's not based on fact, and that's going to lead to something else I'll talk to you about getting this reimbursed, which your other question. I have... Um... It's now been eight years since Luke had his accident. Yeah. And it has been since 2018 that we started Team Luke for Minds. And I am um, sold on it because I have seen from, from parents what they have seen. But the interesting thing also is that when you are doing a number of therapies at once, the question is, how do I know that this is what helped them? And my answer is always, it all, maybe all of it helps. I don't know for sure what did help. I do know this, that my love for Luke and my the greatest therapy I ever gave Luke was me, but also all the other therapies helped as well. Yeah. So how do you pinpoint exactly? That is such a great question. That has been my cardinal rule for 34 years. So when you come to New Orleans and my clinic, we want to answer one question. Does hyperbaric oxygen therapy for work for you or your child, or does it not? Because when you leave there, it's a potentially, I mean, overall, it's an expensive question. 
You've taken time, resources, come there for a period of time, as long as eight weeks, get this treatment, which may not and likely is not reimbursed by your insurance company. You cannot leave confused about whether this was responsible or whether I had you get a bunch of supplements or go next door and get OTPT and speech therapy or anything else. So we do one thing. We do hyperbaric oxygen. And once the family, and I have the family verbalize it, is convinced that the trajectory, the improvement curve for their child has changed unequivocally, then we start adding other things to it in a limited way because you still have to watch for combination effects where you get side effects. When you do, you don't know what it's due to, which therapy. It's an all-stop. And so, yeah, this is a problem. And that's why I've tried, you know, I don't have a whole bunch of therapies that I'm trying to do at once and or foist on patients and, and so on. And the other thing is, now we finish and you're better. What did it? Just like you asked. You have no idea. You're now wedded to all of these therapies. And, you know, most of them aren't reimbursed. So you essentially got this huge out-of-pocket expense for the patients. And I'm, look, I, I am extremely respectful of that. I didn't grow up in a rich environment, you know. Uh, so I, I respect people's resources, and I don't want to waste them. And as the executive director of Team Legal for Minds, our goal in life would be to be able to provide enough money know. for everyone to be able to yes. um, have 40 dives. And, yep. um, and we can provide a portion, certainly we're able to help financially, but, but what you're also giving us is education. And education is almost as valuable, if not as valuable. And so, um, you know, I can speak for my entire staff, Emily and, and Rhonda Johnson and everyone involved, how much we appreciate what you are doing for families all over the country, but also um, how much you mean to Team Lucope for Minds and being a keynote speaker for us for, for many years and, and being someone that we can keep in touch with throughout the year. And it means a lot to me. Um, I wish, you know, it, the interesting thing about this, and I'm not even sure interesting is the right word, um, maybe the regret I have is as we're talking, as I'm listening to you, I only wish that I could have taken my little boy from Cook Children's Hospital to New Orleans. Um, I know. And even, even after that, when you met Luke, I'll never forget this, you met Luke and he was so active that day. He was, he was engaged. He was alive. He was alert. And, you know, the hard part is when you come to New Orleans, you have to come to New Orleans for 40 days. Yeah. Well, how many weeks is that? We're talking eight weeks. Eight. And that's a challenge for a lot of families. It is. But, I know But that. I am here to say that it is well yeah. worth your while and... And we are going to be there for resources for families as much as we possibly can because we know how important it is to, to, um, to follow your strategy. And we really appreciate all you do for families. Well, listen, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. And let me just say, regarding all of these problems you mentioned, there's things we're working on. We're trying to get to the point where we have affiliates and people where you go there and my name is on it, you're going to get what I'm doing in New Orleans. That's still, that's a work in progress, and we're, we're working on it. But the other thing is trying to get this reimbursed, and that's been the academic side. You can't do that without the publications. And what I had to do was focus on one of the most responsible ones, which is traumatic brain injury. Last year, I published the article, which is the synthesis, synthesis of all the studies that we and others have done. 
It's in what's called a format of systematic review. It's one of the highest levels of evidence. <clears throat> and what it's based on is randomized trials. Parents don't know this, but you can now take that and go to insurance companies and get hyperbaric oxygen for traumatic brain injury reimbursed. And the way it's done is you apply to get it reimbursed. You have to end up paying for it and come out of pocket. But what will happen is it'll usually get rejected because it's not on the reimbursed list. But on appeal, you can present the evidence. Mm -hmm. And the evidence for getting something insurance reimbursed is they want to see randomized trials. There are six of them now. And the evidence is written that it's the highest level of evidence and a grade A practice recommendation mm -hmm. means it should be delivered to that patient unless there's a compelling reason not to. And our patients, some of them now have been able to get reimbursed, even without that article, but that article's facilitating it. The last piece of good news is within the next six months, there will be an article published on CP by a colleague of mine that is going to be under a research project with a journal where I'm editing the publication of a bunch of articles on hyperbaric oxygen. And this is going to be able to now help parents get this for mm -hmm. cerebral palsy. If you have Medicaid... You should be able to do it. You just have to fight Medicaid. And in 29 states, at least now, that's been done. That's wonderful news. My yeah. final question. Yeah. How can Team Luke Hope for Minds help with advocacy for what you're doing? By what you're doing, you know, and, and keeping having this every year, doing what you're doing with fundraising. And I, I will tell you, part of the reason I did this lecture this time and what I talked about and what the parents need to do in the ICU, how they can start early with normal baric oxygen, how they need to ignore these horrible predictions which are grossly inaccurate and based on, on misinformation, is I want this on your website, that lecture, because I refer everybody to it. And I, I was surprised to find out that I think the one from last year or the year before has over 7,000 viewings. I was just thrilled. I mean, that's just wonderful. And your lecture so, and all the other lectures will be on our website within a couple of weeks. Yes. And um, I, I know that, that you're going to have more than 7,000 this time. So, Dr. Harsh, I just yeah, want to thank thanks. you again and thank you for being on Tuesdays with Tim. Appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Thank you.